welcome to Mod Midwives, a Metro Midwifery podcast. I'm Gina Gerba. And I'm Nedra Hale, and we are home birth midwives serving the Denver metro area. Huh. So I never thought about the fact that I would have to say Gerboth 9,000 times in my life when I decided to change my name to my husband's last name. Oh, yeah? It's really a hard name to say, actually. I'm Gina Gerboth. Oh, I see. It's like getting that TH to enunciate is basically impossible. You know, whenever I'm talking to like insurance people or something, everybody always messes up your name. They mess up my name too, but it's just, oh, but it's Gerbeth is, name. yeah, but they're like, Jerbeth, Jerbeth. I'm like, oh my gosh. Siri <laughs> says it's, what does, what does Siri say? My Siri says Jerbeth. your name is, yeah, it's, Jerbeth. but it's not the way our Siri says it, because our Siri is British. Um, she says it like, it sounds like gerbless. <laughs> oh. oh, it's horrible. You know, we're Jason's, um, family's from a small town in Southeast Colorado called Rocky Ford, which many of you may recognize as the melon capital of the world, or at least many Colorado people might recognize that as the melon capital of the world. Nobody else will have ever heard of Rocky Ford, Colorado. However... In that town of 2,000 people, the name was, I never had to spell it. I never had to explain who I was. It was like this little slice of being a normal person without having to deal with my name. Interesting. Everywhere else, it's a pain in the rear. But it's a long story why I changed my name. I'm not really a changing the name type, but my maiden name's actually my adopted father's name. My, Mm -hmm. My mother married and he adopted me, so it didn't feel like it was my name. Like, you know, I didn't have any ownership right. of that name. So, so I thought it was just as sensible to change it, but Oh, it's a pain. It's such a pain. Yes. Oh my and now God. if I ever get divorced, I'll just have to keep it. Whereas it's just, that's just weird. So I just can't get divorced. The end. I have changed my name a whole bunch of times because when I first got married, I wanted to hyphenate my name. So I changed it all. To oh. hyphenated and then my husband at the time was I don't know he was like bummed out about it and I cared at that moment about him being <laughs> bummed out about it <laughs> you know because I was 20 and uh so then I changed it to his name and then we got divorced you know however many years later and then I changed it back to my own name I don't like to use the word maiden name oh. my original name uh-huh. <laughs> you are n-e-e and um and I'm like what I am never changing my name again unless like I want to because I think of a really cool name that I'm like I am changing my name to that can That's you even a- imagine McMullen Gerboth hyphenated that would be a disaster no no disaster. <laughs> Well, anyway, here I am. My circle in hell is to say Gerboth 9,000 times on the podcast and in public. So, well, today our um, topic is one that just came up in a postpartum visit. And it's one that I have um, talked about a million times at La Leche League meetings. And so what we're going to talk about today is uh, getting ready to go back to work in terms of pumping and breastfeeding and schedules and stuff like that. It's kind of a challenging um, transition time. So we thought that'd be a good thing to talk about today. Yeah. 
Um, so when you had your first baby, did you go back to work? How did that work? Yes. So, oh my gosh, it was so long ago. What was even happening? <laughs> let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to way back when. So at that time I was doing, um, yes, I was doing office work. So I went back to work shortly after that, but I also was working at home some, so it was pretty balanced. And I also got into birth work. The cat is out. I hear, uh, I hear your kitten. <laughs> my child has failed me with the cat babysitting. Oh, bring her up here, just cuddle her. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, so I started birth work somewhere in there too. So mm-hmm. then that was, you know, trying to figure that out was interesting too. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other, that's a whole other layer. Yes. We will tackle it for the, yes. for the student midwives and new midwives yes. and young yes. midwives in the group. But um, that's a, boy, that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also was working, um, I used to work for the USDA when I had Quinn. And had a very typical 12-week maternity leave and then went back to work full-time. And yeah. uh, it was just very standard. So yeah. um, so what, you know, what worked for you? And you'll, you might have to remind me, your breastfeeding journey has been so much more convoluted in yeah. terms of when you had, when it was working and when it wasn't working. And with your so- first, was it working at that time? With the first one, the supply was was not great, um, and I don't know whether that was physiological or whether that was just like ignorance. Um, but I did end up starting to supplement. Do you want me to not use the word ignorance? <laughs> no, no, no. I was going to say it's usually the you know usually with your, with our first babies we're doing things that are undermining it a little right. Bit, so so yeah. and I definitely had a lot of input from the outside about supply and the need to supplement. So I did supplement her pretty early. And um, so I don't know, I don't know which was which, but so there was a combination of pumping and freezing and backup formula supplementation. Um, So it wasn't that hard in that regard because it was just like, if we didn't have it in the freezer, then we had formula. And you weren't worried about that. That wasn't something you were necessarily trying hard to keep up with. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so, so overall, what I usually recommend for people is that they kind of start building that freezer stash a little bit ahead of time, um, without obsessing about it. So there is a very delicate balance here of don't let pumping and freezing become your you know, sole focus, because you really want to take these few weeks or months to enjoy your baby as much as possible and not really get tied to the pump. But, um, but if you can start, it's a good idea um, to just pump a little bit and start building a freezer stash. I would like to say a word on, uh, uh, um, for a moment on the term freezer stash, I have always said freezer stash Apparently, the word stash is associated with drugs, and people do not like the term freezer stash. It's associated with fabric. I know. I have a fabric stash and a yarn stash and a breast milk stash. Well, I don't anymore. I reject that. 
I reject it too. So FYI, you can just save your indignant letters. <laughs> we acknowledge it and we ignore it. Anyway, um, yeah, so um, by the way, we don't ever get indignant letters <laughs> just if that makes you feel better. Um, anyway, so what I usually recommend people do, and it does depend on when you will need to go back to work, but or school. This is this also applies to people that are going back to school or any kind of kind of, uh, you know full time or um, regular separation, not not sporadic like birth work. We'll talk about that later. But um, so I recommend that you start pumping once a day, relatively early, as long as it doesn't feel stressful. So you know maybe three weeks, two weeks in. Uh, the best time, if you just want to kind of get familiar with the pump and start the habit of pumping, is to usually do in the morning. If the baby nurse is on one side, it's pretty easy to pump the other in the morning because your supply is generally fullest in the morning um, due to the increased prolactin levels overnight. So one pumping session in the morning <clears throat> is a pretty, pretty painless way to kind of get going with your pumping routine. Uh, you can even go more low-key than that, depending on your supply. If you have a Haka, I don't, have you heard about this product? I have, and I really wish it was around when, mm -hmm. when I had babies, because mm -hmm. it's really cool. It's amazing. I suspect, though, it wouldn't have been extremely successful for you. Just um, because it just, doesn't have enough... I feel like you might have needed a little more oomph. For me, yeah. I probably would have overflowed it with, um, right. you know, without paying attention, I would have been yeah. overflowing the haka. So the haka is just a soft silicone kind of a thing that um, it can work as a pump. You can squeeze the bulb at the bottom and, and draw milk, but you can also just kind of attach it like a suction cup and it draws the milk out of one side while the baby's nursing on the other side. Um, that's probably what my main, um, suggestion would be is to try that. It's like 30 bucks. It's also a great thing to have, um, in your car, you know, one of these days, I really do think we should do a vlog slash podcast about my car and yeah. all the stuff in my car. And I just reorganized it too, <clears throat> but it would be such a great thing to do if you were a lactating person and a birth worker. Yeah. It would just easily store in the car and yes. you don't have to worry about it. So, um, so anyway, something like that, once in the morning, low, low pressure, start saving the milk. Always label your milk the day that you expressed it. Um, as you go to feed the baby the expressed milk, you don't always want to go to the freezer. Most of the time you want to feed the baby what you pumped the day before. But, um, but you want to make sure that your freezer stash <laughs> does not get old. And so you watch the dates and when the old gets, you know, starts getting close to um, probably about three months and you want to start rotating it out. So um, kellymom.com has a whole bunch of really great resources for, um, for expressing milk and milk storage and stuff like that. And I just defer to their, um, I just yeah. defer to their expertise. Can you hear the voices in the background at my house? No. Okay, and good. I, I was just going to say my my kitten has zoomies right now. So all those weird noises you're hearing behind me are that. <laughs> I can't really hear yours. So if you can't hear okay. mine, I can't no. hear yours. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is like Zoom life slash COVID life. Um, 
anyway, so, so that's kind of a good way to get started. It's just kind of once a day, start yeah. building up a little supply. Um, overall, whenever you're separated with the, from the baby, you're going to want to approximate two things, how often the baby would normally be eating and how much milk the baby would normally be taking in. And you have to guesstimate that because one of the great things about human milk is that we don't actually have a gauge on our breasts and we can't actually see how much they're taking in. So it's you know really good for learning to get into that intuitive brain, but yeah. it's also really hard for things like planning how much milk to send with your baby to daycare. Super challenging. Oh my gosh. It's so challenging. So yeah. Um, and I, and I also want to encourage people like it's totally doable, but you have to just be a little, you know, you have to be a little diligent and creative. So you mostly don't want them to just don't send all of your milk with them and let them just eat ad lib from the bottle of express breast milk because they will eat more from a bottle than they will from you. Right. And so that means that they'll outpace your expression to some degree. And that's just, that's one of the reasons why we know that babies that are not exclusively breastfed tend to be larger throughout life because they eat more. You just eat more from a bottle. It's just a, it's just a thing that happens. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. So, um, like like the milkshake, when I drink a milkshake, it goes a lot faster down than when I'm like eating ice cream. <laughs> oh, that's a really good analogy. I like it. Ooh, a milkshake sounds good this morning. I, I, I know this because I ate both of those things over the weekend when we were doing all of this work. <laughs> oh, my weekend was not good and my week was so good. I started off so strong and I oh. fell apart. It was not good. Anyway, um... So yeah, so that's kind of a how to get started, how to get started expressing. Mm-hmm. After that, you're going to really need um, a better pump, a better quality pump. Do you remember what pumps you've used? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't use a really good quality pump until my fourth baby. So I used hand pumps mm-hmm. the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. I mean, I never was in a situation where I had to work every single day, you know, eight hours a day and, and have a supply for that. You know, all my whole life, my work schedule has been more or less flexible, you know, with the exception of the, you know, I have to leave for 24 hours for a birth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, so it hasn't been, um, as challenging as it is for some people, but, uh, so I was able to pump sometimes even just like a bottle before I go someplace. And mm-hmm. you know, so, um, mm-hmm. and that's a great strategy for yeah. occasional separations is to just kind of, you know, maybe when the baby is napping, you do an extra little pumping session and get something that you can leave for the baby. Um, so pumps are a, it's a very sticky wicket. There's a lot to it overall. If you're going to go back to work full time, it is recommended that you get a double electric um, pump. And mercifully, most insurance companies now will cover the cost of this and have a number that you can um, choose from. But um, if you're on Medicaid in Colorado, that is not, uh, they don't purchase a pump for you, which I think is criminal. That is really bad. Mm -hmm. It's super terrible. So 
that should be something for your advocacy. For yeah, I mean, like, well, if you're going to, oh, I'm just going to rant for a second, but if you want <laughs> people to grow up and be healthy and not rely on the medical system to be taking care of their ills, maybe you could start them off with a breast pump. That would be great. <laughs> right, right. right. It, we have actually hard data that <laughs> breastfeeding reduces medical costs. So good point. Good point. Okay. <clears throat> so um, the pumps, I, it is tricky to make recommendations on in a public forum, but I am going to say that um, I, if anybody, I'll try to link back in the blog post, but if anybody remembers our who code post, there are a number of who code violators that are pump manufacturers. Some of the, and the who code again is the world health organization code for marketing of breast milk substitutes. It um, kind of tracks who's ethical or not ethical about their marketing practices. Some of the pumps are actually produced by formula slash pharmaceutical companies and are so bad that they're trying to cause lactation failure. So there's such bad products that they damage your breasts and and are completely ineffective so that people will be unsuccessful with their pumping goals and will resort to formula. Um, Others, like the the big brand of double electric pumps that everybody is very familiar with in the yellow and white packaging. Right. Um, Others are just unethical from a marketing perspective, not and and do make a good product. So, um, but we would never recommend that brand because of that reason, because they are unethical in their marketing practices. Um, others still, um, like the Spectra, which we like, uh, they do have some questionable ties from a parent company perspective, but they're probably compliant. Um, their own their own product is probably compliant with the who code so overall i recommend the spectra if anybody is looking for a double electric pump there's one that's battery operated and one that plugs in i think the battery operated goes both battery and wall plug in um i as an aside i am now actually looking at um inverters for in order to run a space heater from my car Mm-hmm. in the winter right. and so, so now I know a little bit more about plugging things in pumps. Uh, yes exactly <laughs> it would also work for that anyway um the inverter is much more expensive than the pump itself but anyway um so the spectra would be a product that many people like whenever people have more than one pump and a lot of our clients do have more than one pump they report that they tend to get better yields from the spectra so, and it's also very inexpensive. It's less than $200. Um, it's, I think, like $150, give, give or take a little bit. So, um, and it's a closed system pump, so it can be shared between people or passed down from people. So, anyway, if you're going back full time, a high quality double electric pump like the Spectra would be one that we would recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, you want to make sure that you're pumping. Um, as often as you are missing a feeding. So every time that the baby would normally be feeding, you want to try to pump. That's really challenging to do when you're gone all day. It is. It's so, yeah, because it's, I mean, can you imagine you're sitting at, you're doing a desk job or something and your baby normally feeds every two and a half hours. (laughs) It's, It's tough. Right, right. 
So as much as possible. You should know there are workplace protections to ensure that you do have two breaks plus your lunchtime in an eight-hour day to pump. Um, in Colorado, anyway, I actually can't speak to other states, but um, that still is not always easy to happen, you know, it, to make happen. Um, I find that teachers and nurses have the hardest time uh, because they don't really, they can't just walk out of their, their work setting to go pump. Right. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's up to the person who is needing to pump to make the HR staff aware of the laws and, you know, especially with small companies, like I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of our own company where you have just like regular people handling all the stuff and they don't, um, they don't necessarily know all this stuff about everything. And so, so you have to do all this, this labor to um, get your rights recognized. (laughs) And so, yeah, but on the fair. other hand, it is it is well worth the effort because you Definitely. will pave the way for somebody else. Yes. So, the so next person, yeah, everybody will be on board, right? Yeah. So, so I just rec- I just recommend that you kind of take this sort of like I'm doing this for the greater good. Yes. I, if yes. I advocate for myself, I'll advocate for somebody else, and maybe Absolutely. that's just like a woman thing that we have a hard time advocating for ourselves, but we can do it yeah. if we know we're going to make it better for somebody else. Yeah. That's great. Um, but there are there are workplace protections. So uh, we'll try to link to those in the blog post as well. Um, so overall, <clears throat> if you um, if you can express when the baby would be missing a feeding, that's ideal. Another thing that works really well is that if somebody can bring the baby to you for one feeding during the day, like maybe you can have somebody come in um, during your lunch break. And bring, or you know, even meet out at the car and nurse outside. Um, I'm just thinking COVID, <laughs> hashtag COVID life. Right. Um, that yeah. is really great. Every every time, every minute the baby spins at the breast is going to be more efficient, and it's going to do more for protecting your supply than uh, than pumping would. So you're always behind the eight ball just a little bit with pumping. Um. So if that's a possibility, that's great. And another technique is to make sure that you nurse the baby right before you leave and right when you pick them up. Don't wait till you're home or don't, you know, don't like leave your house, go to the daycare, then work, then daycare, then home and nurse again. Like go to the daycare, nurse at daycare. Right. I mean, you can cut off two hours of the separation time right. sometimes. Right. And, and yet another tip is to try to find daycare closer to your workplace rather than closer to your yeah. home is another I worked at a federal building um the USDA is not located in this building anymore but it was at 13th and Spear at the time and we had a daycare in the building um so it was very easy for me to even go down and nurse the baby but that became very difficult when he started having separation anxiety and he had a lot of separation anxiety Oh no. It was really sad. And so it was fine when he was between three to six months, but then once he got a little older, it was like I had to separate from him multiple times a day and that was really hard for him. So, so it really became a bit of a challenge. Um, it wasn't until, um, it it wasn't until that part that the onsite daycare became kind of a almost, it was almost useless except that it did take off hours before and after. 
Yeah. Um, so that was nice. And then we got to spend our commute together and it was kind of sweet. Oh, sweet. He had a lot of separation anxiety though. So um, I didn't keep going down the whole time I was breastfeeding. And that really signaled the beginning of the end of the pumping for us too. We didn't make it to a year with him because, um, because he got very, he got bottle preferential. He realized that he was, he could be mobile with his bottle. He could, you know, look all over the place. He didn't have to sit still. And so once he had the option to take it with him, he liked to be on the go, which is not unusual for babies. So, um, so that's all fine and great for anticipated and structured and regular hours, but what about birth work? So how did you make that work if you were? So my freezer stash was um, in in the end, you know, almost exclusively for those. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it worked to have the baby brought to me, um, especially when they were little. Mm -hmm. And uh, my ex-husband, a lot of the time, a lot of the the early parts of um, my midwifery years and and um, so on. He was a uh, stay-at-home dad, so so he had some freedom to bring the babies to me, and that was really, really, really nice. Um, but honestly, I would say I didn't do a very good job. Like, I definitely had those, like, oh my gosh, it's been eight hours, and I haven't pumped, and I've got, you know, giant boobs now that are super painful, and, you know, so... I was not as focused on it as I could have been for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is where, the, I think this is where nurses run into trouble yeah. too. They have 12 hour shifts. Mm-hmm. They can't always get away from their client or their patient load. You know, they're yeah. kind of just one person to the next doing their thing. And, um, and when you're, when your breasts get full like that, it's, a, it, um, it signals, a. um, hormone called the feedback inhibitor of lactation to be released. And that tells your brain, you don't need to make that, you know, oh, well, clearly you're making more milk than you need because your breasts are full. So we're going to make less milk the next day. And it can indeed become um, a kind of a downward spiral from there. So, um, and that would happen to me in the, my office was very accommodating. The USDA is the, I actually worked for the food and nutrition service and the food and nutrition service is the um, agency over WIC. So, you know, I worked for the food stamp program, but the, but people in WIC were in the cubicles right around the corner for me. So, you know, it was a pretty lactation friendly place, Yeah. but, um, but even still you're in a meeting, you know, of course, when you're wearing office clothes, you do have to watch it because if you get to, if you go too long, you can end up with stains all over your nice dress clothes. So yeah. <laughs> it was always a bit of a, Not always I, a bit of a challenge. I haven't usually had jobs where I have to wear nice dress clothes, but I've definitely had issues, at, especially at births with the leaking letting stuff. down. Oh my gosh. I am so yeah. oxytocin sensitive. Yes. What would happen? I never was lactating at birth. I, don't know. <laughs> I would have been like Mount Faithful or what's it called? Old Faithful. (laughs) It would have been horrible. I would have been letting down constantly. (laughs) I really was like, I mean, always, I've always been like that at the store, at the, you know, constantly, if I hadn't nursed recently, it would be a bad thing. So births would have been bad. I get cramps at births. 
This is too. Really? This is TMI for many of our listeners. But I, <laughs> I get uterine cramps. I think it's interesting to know how hormones work. I think it's it's educational. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm close to starting my period, I'll definitely start it. If I go to a birth, and I was on the edge oh, anyway. Mm-hmm. <sighs> hormones. Um. Anyway, so yeah, so finding that place when you're. Uh, at, at a birth or on a nursing shift or in front of a room full of kindergartners can be really tricky. You can't always step out. So, um, so trying to hit it a little bit ahead, anticipating the curve is really a good, yeah. um, a good practice. If there is a little lull, um, I did actually see a, a birth photographer that we work with uh, pumping with a haka, like using it as a pump. And so that would be such a great thing to just even put in your birth bag and have it ready to go. Yes. Oh my gosh. That would have saved me so many times. Yeah. If you just don't, can't amazing. stop and do a whole pumping yes. session. Yes. The other thing is really learning how to do hand expression. Hand expression is a little bit of a skill. There is a learning curve to it, but you can at least empty your breasts enough to not be uncomfortable, which will also prevent the decrease in supply from starting. Yeah. Um, There's a, we'll put a link on the blog post. Oh, I'm creating a, I'm creating a blog post with a lot of work involved, but I will make sure that I put a link on how to hand (laughs) express in the blog post as well. Um, What else would you share with um, people that are needing to separate and needing to express milk. I don't know. I would want to circle back to what you were saying at the beginning about the, you know, not being obsessed with having the freezer being super full. Um, and that's just because of, I think the messaging from the, yes, uh, from social media, like yes. when I, even like me as a 44 year old woman with no, you know, no breastfeeding child for the last, you know, s- seven years at least, or no, like five years, five or six years. But um, it's even when I see that, I feel like I like I feel inferior or something. Inadequate. It, it, it sends a signal of inadequacy. Yes, I'm like I am not adequate. And look at this other woman who has this like she has a chest freezer full of breast milk, you know. And um, maybe we could just talk about how that's not really necessary, yeah. or maybe typical or normal. <laughs> or I mean, not only necessary, but it's actually for most people overproducing that quantity of milk is a massive inconvenience. If you're pumping that much, you're tied to that pump. And the pump is only a tool to, should be only a tool to help you when there is some sort of separation. And also I quickly want to acknowledge, we are not talking about separation for medical reasons. We're not talking about a baby in the NICU, things like that. That's a totally different, that is a totally different, um, set of pumping guidelines that we, right. that, that is a podcast for another time. But, um, but no, for regular separation, if you're overproducing to that extent, you're going to be tied to the pump. And that is um, just as much a cause of lactation failure as um, underproducing because who wants to go anywhere if you have to take a breast pump with you every single time? Right. Like, like right. even for go to the movies and have to pump your breast, like that would be yeah. Ridiculously inconvenient. Yes. Not that we go to the movies anymore. No. That was, <laughs> that was last year. <laughs> That's so 2019. <laughs> yes. 
but anyway, yeah, over pumping is a problem in and of itself. And I do not appreciate either, even though I was an overproducer and I could have been that person. I think it's really um, unnecessarily competitive. Right. You know, to, yeah. to put that out there into the world like that. Yeah. So I do not recommend. Um, yeah. And why, and why, to what end you might end up donating it. Um, that, that is a point though, that there are people who do appreciate informal milk sharing, or there are milk banks that can take formal milk donations. You pretty much though, cannot fill your freezer and then contact the milk bank and say, Hey, do you want this milk? That's not how it works. They, they need it. They need a certain, they need certain screening tools. They need, um, certain timeliness, that kind of thing. So it would, it could very well get wasted and that could have been a lot of effort for nothing. What if you're, what if you have a power outage and your chest freezer dies? Oh my God. I mean, it would be horrifically sad. So, um, yeah, some, I'll just do a quick, uh, little rundown of tips for when you are expressing, let's say that you're at your office job and we're not dealing with the challenges of on-call work or, uh, on-call birth work or anything like that. Um, some tips are to try to find a nice quiet place. Again, there's workplace protections that there should be a place for you to pump. That's not a bathroom. Um, try to find uh, a quiet, uninterrupted place with a locking door. You'll feel more secure. And when you feel secure, you're more likely to have that oxytocin flowing. Um, having a letdown on the pump is the key to pumping a good quantity of milk. And um, so, um, you know, just trying to kind of relax, maybe smell a baby blanket with your baby smell on it, look at a picture of them and try to just relax and find that quiet place. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty much the um, kind of some tips for getting um, started expressing milk if you need to go back to work or school. We'll have some links in the, in the blog. Anything else? I don't think so. That's really, I think that's good. I think yeah. the Kelly Mom is a really good resource. Kelly Mom is great. I'll definitely link to that page. Um, breast milk is amazing. If you set out breast milk on the counter in eight hours, it actually has less bacteria in it than it did when you expressed it. So it's antiviral, antibacterial, and yeah. antifungal. Um, but there are some still some safe storage guidelines that it's a good idea to follow. So yeah. So we'll share a link to that. All right. Well, everyone have a great week. We hope that there's a couple tips that you can take away from this and, um, and, and good luck. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of some work, but it's also worth it. Oh, totally. Totally. As, as we've talked about a few times, just because something's challenging sometimes doesn't mean that it is not worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the alternative is also challenging. Every Everything's exactly. work once you have a baby. <laughs> it is definitely true. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye.